This is Gustavo Arellano with OC Weekly, and you're listening to KUCI-FM 88.9 in Irvine, Orange County, California. Arriba, arriba. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Hello, welcome to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. You're listening to In the Garden, put on by Master Gardeners of Orange County. My name is Ann Lou, and I'm glad you're tuned in. Winter is a very cold season and the plants are dormant. It looks like there's not much to do, but it can be a very busy time. If you have these plants, pruning deciduous fruit trees, your roses, and doing some dormant spraying. Of course, if you have a little potted garden on your kitchen windowsill, you can relax. So we hope that this show will give you some information where you're feeling more comfortable in the garden and can enjoy being out there and... uh, eventually have some wonderful fruit from your own garden. We have with us today a fellow master gardener, John Shara, and we are very lucky to have him because he is extremely well qualified in pruning fruit trees. I met him out in our research and extension center in Irvine, and we were pruning citrus trees and persimmons side by side, and I learned so much from him. Not only that, about how to sharpen tools. So we're going to ask John lots of questions today, and we're going to just chat. The topic then is winter care, pruning fruit trees, fertilizing, and irrigating. Welcome to our show, John. Thanks, Ann. I'm glad you you invited me. Tell me a little bit about how you became a master gardener. I retired and was looking for something else to do. And Master Gardeners popped up. I was interested in horticulture anyway, so um, it was just a a nice confluence of events, I guess. I remember you telling me you have plenty of fruit trees in your own yard, and this kind of led into sharing your expertise with the general public as a Master Gardener, right? Exactly. I really like dealing with people, especially with orchards and such here. We've got wonderful opportunity because this is a Mediterranean climate, and we can do so much here, both with deciduous trees, uh, tropical, subtropicals, just about everything you can grow in the world, you can grow here in Southern California. It's Orange County. We're so lucky to live here between the 30 and 50 degree latitude line. Uh, That's where most of the fruit trees grow in the world. And here we are living right in the zone. Now, uh, pruning fruit trees is very important to do because it stimulates new growth and it provides a better crop for the year. And the winter season is a very important time because we can see the skeleton of the trees. Right, John? Exactly. What we're trying to do right now is to improve and develop structure on deciduous trees and that would be uh, palm fruit, and that would, of course, be apples, pears, that sort of thing, and peaches, stone fruit, apricots, apriums, pluot. We'd also be pruning uh, persimmons and a little bit grapes and caneberries, exactly. Mm -hmm. And, And the fruit trees. We're going to be talking about specific fruit trees because I know out in Orange County, 
people are especially interested in citrus and avocados, and John knows a lot about uh, those two areas. And so let's first start with uh, looking at the tree. When we prune the fruit trees and we see the skeleton, the leaves are all off, it's an opportune time to, to see how the tree lets in light and how the air can flow because that's real important to avoid fungus problems. Exactly. Well, also it helps with uh, pollination. And since we're talking about mostly backyard horticulture here, you're also thinking about sizing the tree. You don't want a peach tree, of course, it's going to take over the the whole backyard. <laughs> You'd like to perhaps have a couple of peach trees, probably an early variety and then maybe a later variety, so you could have peaches all summer. Oh, I like that. I've ordered two more peach trees, so I have three growing in a triangle. Early season, mid-season, and late season. How I chose it was by its chill hours and recommendation whether it grows well in our in our climate here. Yeah. And that's what people need to do when they choose a fruit tree, not exactly. go by the price, right. but to go buy some information, go online and find out about your variety and um, and see how many chill hours. And so here in Orange County, we recommend less than 300, right? Well, we have 100 a, to 200. You could do a lot of different things with peaches here. For instance, okay, let's look at the Great Park. I've got at least a half a different, uh, half a uh, half a dozen different varieties of peaches out there, and they all do fine. Eva's Pride, May Pride, Mid Pride, August Pride—they're all lovely peaches. Bonita is another nice one. We have uh, Pluots. Uh, some of the Pluots do pretty nice, and we also have Apriums. Those are lovely, and even some low chill cherries out there. There's some brand new ones that are in right now. You were talking about. Uh, dormant pruning. And I'm up to my neck in dormant pruning right now. We've got uh, an orchard out at the South Coast Research Station that we work on constantly. And we also have, the Master Gardeners are also responsible for taking care of the trees out at the Great Park in the Food and Farm Lab. We've got a number of trees set up basically in the backyard horticulture style, meaning we the trees are try. We try to keep them small. We try to crowd them into small areas because that's what we're dealing with here in uh, Orange County. So we have a small orchard. We've got uh, trees in uh, espalier, lots of apples done that way. We've got some apriums and peaches done that way, and we have a small orchard with some red barons in it right now that we're working on. That's the one I was trying oh, to remember. The red oh, baron. That's a, a lovely peach. It's a beautiful yeah. peach tree. I'm glad you mentioned the Great Park because the Food and Farm Lab is run largely by the Master Gardeners, all volunteers, mm -hmm. and it's a wonderful demonstration area. If after you listen to the show, you might want to drop by to the Great Park, and there are Master Gardeners there mostly on the weekends, and they can help you with pointers on how you can prune. Right now, when we look at the tree, we want to look at dead and diseased branches and prune them off. Is it important what angle you cut them at? It is, and it's important about where you cut them. Typically, a branch has a what they call a collar. As the collar attaches to the next branch, 
That's that little raised area. And when you make a cut on a branch, even a small one, you want to go back to the collar, not cut into the collar, cut just parallel to the collar. If you do that, then what you get is what they call a callus that will heal up over the top of it. We do not seal pruning wounds anymore. You let that's them dry like, out. Uh, that's like tar? Or... Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. I I kind of think of it as a one, two, three karate chop for the big branches <laughs> because you don't cut right at the collar if it's a big branch, right? You start with well, the bottom. Well, that's, that's a master. What you're talking about is a master gardener's cut on a larger limb. Imagine a larger limb, uh, even one or two inches. Uh, this would be especially important when you're dealing with brittle wood, say an avocado. I have a, a large, uh, maybe a branch that's maybe an inch and a half, and it's coming out from the base of the tree. It's... It's encroaching. I, I've decided it doesn't fit. I need to get it out of there. So I'd like to take it out. What I want to do is take it out without the branch tearing away at the collar and actually ripping the bark off the trunk of the tree. And that would just introduce diseases, right? Oh, it's the, the wound would never heal. And with avocados, you just don't want that kind of thing. So to make a master gardener cut... <laughs> There are three <laughs> One, two, <cuts>. three. <laughs> the karate. <laughs> One, two, three, right. Uh-huh. So what you're doing, the first cut, you imagine, let's go to the, the last cut you make. The last cut you make is right there at the branch, uh, parallel to the collar. A nice, clean cut, not into the collar, but parallel to the collar, right at the trunk of the tree. That's the third cut. We're okay. going backwards now. Okay. Don't now, start with the collar. Don't start with that. We're going backwards now. Now we're going to number two. I'm going to go out several inches, say five or six inches. And the whole point of this exercise is that I'm trying to unload the weight of the tree before I make the final cut at the trunk of the tree. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go out there a few inches and I'm going to go underneath the limb now. And I'm going to cut up through the bottom, maybe half inch or so. This this is the first cut. Then I'm going to continue out a little further, another couple of inches, and I'm going to now start from the top and I'm going to start cutting down through the top of the limb. What's going to happen at a certain point, especially in brittle wood, like avocado or a lot of trees do this if, if there's any weight on to, that limb. I'm cutting down through the top, but I'm out past that undercut. And what will happen, it'll get about three quarters of the way through the limb and the weight of the limb will snap the remaining wood off. But what it'll do is it'll break off now at that tiny little half inch undercut that I made a couple of inches back. And the, most of the you know, 99% of the wood is then going to fall there, fall down. Then what I have is this little shank of wood coming out of the of the main trunk. Now, because the weight's off of the thing now, now I can go back just outside that little collar where the limb attached, and now I can make a nice, clean, parallel cut without it ripping away the bark underneath. And that's a Master Gardener cut on a decent limb. Yes, Master Gardeners <laughs> are great physicists because we're talking about Fulcrum and load. <laughs> yes, it's, but it's just common sense. What it, is. it is common sense. Yes, we don't want to tear the bark because once the bark is torn, it introduces possibilities for bacteria and fungus and bug pests. I'd like to add, I'm going to put in a little pitch here. On the 31st, out at the Great Park at 10 o'clock, we're going to have an exercise in talking about avocados because we, we have an awful time with avocados around here. And I'll be making just that cut that I explained. And if people want to come out and take a look at it, we'll also be doing some other things too. But Yeah, that's great to know. If you wanted to know more of our events and workshops through the year, you can go on. Well, you could go on University of California, Cooperative Extension, Master Gardener website. That's UC. C-E-M-G. We're going to (laughs) drill that into your memory during this show.
is a very valuable resource for all sorts of things, pest notes, weed control, choice of plants, mm-hmm. California natives um, go on org. Right. All right, let's go back to pruning. When we look at this skeleton structure of the trees mm-hmm. in general. How uh, about give me, give me a for instance, which tree? Okay, we want to get into some specifics. Okay. Okay, some common trees in Orange County. Let's start with citrus, shall we? Talk to us about oranges, lemons. Lemons, limes, citrus. Okay, right now, basically we get a spring and a fall flush on citrus. So we're kind of in the maintenance mode on citrus right now. What I do is I walk along our citrus out there. I'm looking for indicators, things like ants going up the trunk of the tree. Always a bad sign. That means we've got we're they're working on scale or aphids or something. That's so I'm right. To, they're after something sweet. Exactly. So I'm going to have to start looking at that. The other thing, just as far as the structure of the tree, if it's if I've got a sprout down below the graft of the tree, which is usually that little bump down there that you see, that's the the rootstock, that's a sucker. That has Don't to come out. Don't want suckers. Okay. We take those out. Tear them out. Don't tear th- cut them tear out. Tear them out is best. Break off that growth cell. Exactly. If, if they're small and flush, you can usually just pinch them off with your finger. That's the best time. Do right. it when if it's they early. they get a little bigger, you're just going to have to get in there with your, your hand lopers and uh, clip those rascals off. Now, I'm going to stop here. I'm kind of a nutcase on cleanliness of tools. Me too. <laughs> And you taught me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Anyway, when I step out into the field, the first thing I do, I usually have a set of hand lopers in my back pocket. And if I plan on doing something bigger, I have maybe a loper or a saw. The first thing that I do with that tool is I pull it out I inspect it. I look, first of all, for keenness, whether it's sharp or not. And I'd like to lube it up, and then I like to clean it. What do you lube it up with? I like a little, just a little spray oil, anything. Uh, When we're Basically, just put a little oil on the pivot points of the, the tool. This is mostly for you and me, so we don't wear out our hands working that tool. What kind of oil? Any light oil. Uh, those little spray oils and cans, uh, almost like a WD-40 kind of oil. Something that's easy to carry around in your in your kit. Some of the, I mean, 3-in-1 oil would work too, but I, the spray oil is just efficient. What I'm really getting to is making sure that tool is clean. Not what... What I don't want to do, because I'm moving around all day long and I'm working from tree to tree, I don't want to be passing viruses or pathogens or something between trees. That's right. You don't want to be a human vector. Exactly. So the first thing I'm going to do, and what I really like, there's lots of ways to do this. You can use bleach, bleach and water. That works good. What percent? Uh, Usually uh, 110 works pretty good. Bleach is wonderful. It's cheap. It's easy to get. The only thing that I caution you about bleach is when you're done, you have to take that tool straight to the hose bib and wash that bleach off because the Clorox is an oxidizer, and it's going to oxidize the iron in your clipper. That's really important to remember to do. You will have a tool fused together, literally, don't want days. a rusty tool. No. So you're going you're gonna to wash that thing off if you're bleaching. I personally like right now, I'm using those swipe wipes. They're the kind of thing, the antibacterial, antiviral, kind of a coarse wipe. They're not a hand wipe. You can buy them in packages. The nice thing about these things are that they have the texture in the material is kind of rough. And the material that's in the uh, this little rag that you pull out, as you wipe off your blade of your tool, it really cuts the sap and anything that's on the blade. It really cleans it up nice. Oh, okay. I like that idea. I'm going to try that. And it disinfects, too. That's what I initially do at the car is I take my tools out. 
look at them, I lube them, and I, I wipe them off. But when I go to the field, and if I'm going to different trees, usually I have a little work bag with me, then I'll have a can of some kind of disinfectant. Again, you could use Clorox or something. A lot of us like to carry a can of Lysol. It's not perfect, but the idea is that when we go, when we go from tree to tree, because I'm looking at this lime tree here, and then I'm going to this bear's lime. Maybe I looked at a Mexican lime, then I'm going to the bear's lime, then I go to the sweet lime, and then I go to the mandarin. If I'm doing work on each one of those trees, when as soon as I leave a tree, I'm giving that thing a little squirt because I don't I don't want to take the chance of moving that stuff around. That's and, really important. If uh, one part of the tree, a branch is diseased, you see markings of it, and you go to another part of the tree that still looks healthy, it's important even then to clean the branch. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So you want to be thinking about that. All, and it's just something that people don't think about. It's almost just like washing your hands. It's hygiene. Basically. That is such an important point when we're doing pruning to keep in mind that we can be transferring disease from tree to tree. Even in your backyard, a small garden, let's say, this still applies any kind of plants, your roses or any kind of plants that show little white spots or disease. You don't want to be a human vector. You don't want to be carrying the disease. Let's take a little station break. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is the In the Garden show. My name is DJ Ann and we have on the show John Shara. We're both master gardeners and we are dedicated to passing the information and research from University of California Cooperative Extension to the general public. And this is just a reminder that you won't learn everything you need to know on our, our show, even though we're trying very hard to pack it all in for you. You can go on UCCEMG. That stands for University of California Cooperative Extension Master Gardeners. And there is a wealth of information online. And you can even communicate with us and fill out a hotline question. And we have Master Gardeners answering questions that are particular to your own gardening. We're all in the business of greening the earth, being more mindful stewards of the earth, being aware of minimizing risks to people and the environment by the kinds of chemicals we might use we want to minimize synthetic and use organic as much as we can. Choose disease-resistant plants and find out more. Continue learning about best practices in the garden. So back to John again. John, you were talking about tools, but let's get back to <laughs> citrus we were going to talk about. Yeah. Citrus so and we, avocado. We got, okay. okay. We're walking down the line, and we have clean tools. We accept that. Uh, we've pulled some suckers. The things I look for, I'll walk down there. It, there are going to be things that I see. There's a, there's one thing that's almost ubiquitous in all our citrus trees right now is uh, citrus leaf miner. When I'm out at the, the Great Park Garden, if I'm not asked that question twice every day, I'd be surprised. People just don't understand what it is. It's a little insect. It lays a lays its egg on the new flesh tissue on, on our citrus plants, and then it hatches, and the little larva stage of the insect will then, and this is a pretty small insect, then tunnels inside that leaf. And it makes our trees look kind of ugly, and it scares people. Oh, and it looks awful. The yeah, leaves start I know. twisting and turning. And But here's what the university is telling us. One of the things that I counsel people, and this is straight out of the, the website, is basically with citrus leaf miner. It's all over the place, okay? It's here. Uh, even though they're they're working on biological controls, it's still here. It's going to affect your flush growth. It doesn't affect the uh, more mature leaves. It does make the tree look a bit ugly, but it doesn't significantly harm the tree unless there's just an incredible infestation. It can kill very small trees, but our, our typical backyard citrus trees, it's going to make the thing 
not very pretty in spots, but basically it's not going to kill the tree. However, what people do is they get in there and they want to cut that stuff out, okay? And that's exactly the wrong thing to do because that leaf, even though it may be damaged, is still producing food for the plant. And when you cut that stuff out, what you're really doing is encouraging more flush growth. More growth. And which they love. Yeah, which they love. And besides that, you're in effect defoliating the plant if you keep at it. Right. So it, you're not doing anything for the plant if you do it now. There are things you can do for citrus leaf miter. And if you went on our website and looked up citrus leaf miter, you could get all that. And there's no sense going into it, but there, there are things you can, you know, pheromone traps, there's different things. Citrus are maintenance kind of things. We're basically taking out suckers. That's things below the graph line. If you a sucker up through the middle of a tree is called a water shoot. It looks just like the sucker that comes out. And so we're taking that stuff out. It's never going to become a productive piece of the, the tree. So you'll be taking those water shoots out too. A water shoot looks almost like a... A wild hair coming out of the middle of the, the It's tree. very it's vertical. Per- yes. Yeah, it's, it's very green. Very green. Usually has big thorns on it. and kind Grows of a, fast. Yeah. It's really, it's kind of a triangular shaped thing. It's yeah. it's not hard to pick up. So I have a quamquat tree right now with lots of fruit. And this is a good time because you see the branches that have the quamquats on it. And then you see branches with no quamquats at all. That's a great time to eyeball the water shoots. Yeah. And you just prune them right off because right off. it's just Get that using up so, the plant's food. Exactly. So we're taking, we've looked at the tree. We're looking for insects and such. We're looking for leaves that have died. We're, we're just looking at the tree's health right now. And we've t- taken out the water shoots. We've taken out the suckers. And we're looking to make sure we don't, an answer, bad indicator of scales and aphids and other things. The next thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to look in there and I'm going to be looking for dead branches. Okay. And I'll nip all that stuff out. And I'll look for things that are maybe extreme crossing branches just rubbing, I'll take that out. And I'll look for things that are going to, some of these trees, the apron will get out and actually start to touch the ground. Not a good thing. So you'll get out and try to bring that foliage back up. Controlling size, that's what I think about when I when I think about citrus. And talking about structure of the tree, helping it to form a nice canopy, a, a nice spread, maybe scaffolding it with tying sticks together to make splints to, to make usually, the branches okay. spread a little bit. Well, that is usually more important with deciduous trees. Typically, if you're just printing out dead wood and keeping the skirts of, of a citrus tree up and taking out crossing limbs, they naturally give you a nice even structure. Some of your lemons, like the Eureka, that's it's almost like a weed. That thing will take off crazy. You just have to maintain size and such. And then you get a little more structure things. But your oranges, your, your lemons, your limes, as long as you're keeping them clean. There's another thing, too. I love to take a hose out with a high-pressure nozzle on and just clean Get the dust off. Just spray the leaves. Yeah. Keep them clean. And Mm -hmm. if you have aphids or scale up there, you'll be knocking a lot of that stuff off too. And that takes away what the ants are attracted to. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Now, when when you're talking about spreaders, spreader bars on trees, now you're talking about deciduous trees. Okay. Okay. Are we done with citrus? Uh, We can. That's really right now for citrus, that's all I'm doing. I'm not fertilizing. I'm watering a little bit because it's been so dry, but I'm not going to fertilize my tree. Or start fertilizing until probably about March. And if you're using organics, you're just wasting your money uh, trying to fertilize right now because the temperature is way too low. You're going to have to have at least 70 degrees to make your organic fertilizer take effect. So just think about, once you wait till about March or April, fertilizer is fertilizer, but there are organic fertilizers and there's uh, inorganic fertilizers, uh, man-made chemical fertilizers in it, tied up in usually a kind of a clay matrix. They both work. They're both fine. The... 
the organics, which people like to buy, are a little, um, they're nice because you can, they're a little more forgiving about application. You can, it's hard to overdose with organic right. fertilizers. But the the thing you have to realize with organic fertilizers, the temperature has to be above 70 degrees, consistently above 70 degrees for that stuff to take effect because organic fertilizers are basically nitrites that have to be broken down into nitrates by mycorrhizae, basically fungi in the soil, and they're not going to be very active below 70 degrees. So just as a rule of thumb, I'm not a, I'm not fertilizing anything and the books will tell you the same thing usually about march until things warm up ah books before we move on maybe we should talk about some books that master gardeners particularly like to use and i was at a master gardener book discussion yesterday and there is a book that is particularly helpful for the beginner it's called how to prune fruit trees and roses is a short book it's very thin a handbook that is very handy, and it's been revised and reprinted many, many times. The original publication was in the 1940s, and it's just been so handy. The author is R. Sanford Martin. Many of the master gardeners like that, as well as some University of California publications, which you can also find on U-C-C-E-M-G. G. Got it? Okay. <laughs> and that book is, John? The- the ANR. This is one of my favorites. Uh, it's from the ANR, University of California, Cooperative Extension. It's it's called a home orchard, and it's uh, growing your deciduous fruit and nut trees. And when we're talking about palm and stone fruit and, and nut trees, this thing covers a lot of. It shows you how to plant them, shows you how to care for them, shows you when to plant them, shows you how to fertilize them. Show it talks about uh, structure in trees. It talks about fruit bushes in trees. It tells you where the fruit uh, matures because. If we get into talking about thinning and pruning, each type of tree it has a little, you have to use a little different technique because you have to understand where the fruit wood is on the tree when you prune it. It's not a rocket science or anything, but it's just one of those things you think about when you're pruning a tree. But this is a wonderful book, and I love this thing. And also, of course, you had my copy of uh, <laughs> How to Prune. These are really nice. The only thing that I've, I've seen in any one, in either both of these right now, the thinking has changed a little bit on apricots, apriums, and cherries. Okay, let's get into spurs then. Is okay. this the right time? <laughs> yeah, we finished good. with citrus. Yeah, I, sp- I think citrus. We've talked about it enough. Wait, we so it's, it's maintenance, cleanliness, keeping the dead wood out, keeping the thing off the ground, keeping it watered because it, this dry weather is hard on these trees. And we're talking about deep watering. Not frequent watering, but a really deep soak. I use uh, mm-hmm. drip holes and let it drip. How do you know whether you've got the water down deep enough? The only way you can tell Good point. is with a with soil a prober. prober. Mm-hmm. A soil it's, prober. Just, it's, one of the, it's one of these little T-shaped hollow tubes. Uh, it's about, about an inch in diameter, and you poke that thing in the ground, and it's, the tube is cut away, so you can go in there six or ten inches and pull out a plug of soil, and you can tell whether or not you penetrated deep enough to be effective, and use these 6 to 12 inches. That's a really valuable tool and a good hands-on way of self-monitoring how your uh, irrigation practice is. Speaking of irrigation, don't forget when we have these rare rains to turn on to turn off your sprinkler. Okay, are we ready for spurs? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's, let's do it a little differently. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about stone fruit, okay? Okay. Um, let's go at it that way because spurs can mean different things. <laughs> That's <Okay>. right. <laughs> Stone fruit 
uh, we're talking peaches and for what we're doing out here, plums, pluots, apricots, that kind of thing. Okay. Let's talk about peaches because everybody's got a peach. They're easy or to grow. Or at least want to be. One <laughs> I have. Yeah, one I have. And they're nice. And they're, I mean, they're lovely things. So. Oh, better easy. than nice. Yeah. I love peaches. <laughs> <laughs> so peaches and nectar, they have to be heavily pruned and thinned to get decent fruit. So this is a this is a job, and I don't look at it as a job. In my way of thinking, uh, pruning these trees at this time of the year is it's a wonderful time to kind of restart the clock on your tree because what you're doing, you're going in there. It's like a it's like a checkup on a car. You're going in there and get the whole thing reserviced. Maybe you're getting ready for a long trip. So what we're going to do, for instance, a peach tree. First of all, when you're thinking peach tree, you have to remember where the fruit's coming from, what wood. I'm talking Bershire. last year's wood, <laughs> burr. Where, where, is, where are those peaches going to be? On a peach and nectarine, the fruit is going to be on that new wood, those those tips of things. And if you look there, it's pretty obvious. The, you'll have buds all up and down, those, and usually the, those shoots and limbs will be smooth and maybe even kind of red-colored this time of year. And softer. But they'll be smaller. And so that's where the wood's going to be. And if you look at a, say you looked at a 12-inch stem of peach, and it has little buds all along that stem. The most productive buds are in the, typically in the middle third of that limb. So think about that when I get to the point where I'm talking about thinning that limb. So let's, now let's back out of the tree again. Okay. okay. We cleaned our tools, right? That's right. Okay, our tools are sharp. We walk up to our tree and we'll look at it. What we want on a peach or a nectarine tree, first of all, is a, a shape that we can live with. All these books and all the experts tell you, usually an inverted bowl or a V-shape is they call it an open center. What we're going to do is develop a tree that has scaffolding like a, an open bowl. The reason we're trying to do that, we're trying to expose the inner branches of this tree so things get don't get shaded out, so, th- so the buds get pollinated and our fruits get ripe and we're successful with our peaches. So we're, we're looking for an inverted bowl structure on our peach tree. That's right. We've got to get the sunlight in. Exactly. And the air flowing. Right. Circulation. Now, the next thing is, what size of peach tree can John live with in his yard? I want a small peach tree. Now you have to see John. John is about six feet tall, <laughs> smallest relative. Now we, we we want we want small trees. Trust you me. You want to be able to reach your yeah. fruit, right? I don't like getting up on ladders. No, and that's uh, avoid. Nobody risk. wants to get up on ladders. So we want it. I want it. I don't want a tree that gives me 300 pounds of peaches. I want a tree that will give me peaches in May, and a tree maybe it'll give me peaches in June, late August sometime. Okay, so. I've got those varieties, and I'm looking at a tree I can manage, and it doesn't crowd out the other things I'm trying to do in the yard. So I'm looking for a small tree. So I'm going to keep my tree relatively under control, and you can do that by keeping it top, meaning keeping it down. I don't want to ever have to get on a ladder to pick it or prune it or anything else. We're going to keep this thing kind of small. So that means when I planted this thing as a bare root, that I clipped it off probably about knee high and we got it started. And then as those branches came out that first year, I looked for two or three laterals. I cut out everything else because I want those laterals now to become that inverted bowl, that scaffold. That's right. Head off that mane. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Head off that mane. Now my peach tree is a number of years old. It's much bigger. Things have developed inside and out. I've got a lot of new growth on this tree. So I'm looking at the Looking at the inverted bowl. In fact, before that, I'm going to look down there at the base of the tree. I'm going to look for what? Suckers. Those suckers are coming out first. 
So look at the suckers. I'm going to reach down there, and they're probably going to be too brittle to pinch off, so I'm going to have to get in there either with a, my hand lopers or saw or something and try to cut them close back as you can. It's just because that just exhausts the tree. So we're taking the suckers out. The next thing, I'm going to look at the tree, and I'm looking for things that are obviously cockeyed. They're totally crossed, or they're broken, or there's just something about them I don't like. And usually it's a crossing thing or broken. I'll get in there and cut that. And where do we cut it? The collar. Right, exactly. Good job. Because you don't want to leave that shank hanging out. If you cut out too far past that collar, what happens? It doesn't heal, and that's where you get fungal infections, rots, and all sorts of other things. So you want to you make sure a nice, clean cut close to the collar. Not into the collar, but close to the collar. So that comes out of there. I'll step back again. I've taken out the suckers. I've taken out the cross stuff. I've taken out the broken things. Now I'm looking at my bowl. Because that's, remember we said we want that inverted bowl. Yeah, that shape. Okay, so I'm looking in there, and I, I see things that are, they may be going straighter up from one of my bowl limbs. That's not a part of my bowl. So I'm going to get in there and maybe cut one of those out. And once that's out of there, I'm still working on this bowl. And when I'm happy that I've got a nice looking nice bowl, and I also like a little balance. So I have to a limb this way and 180 degrees, maybe a limb out that direction, and then 90 degrees, another one, maybe three or four nice structural limbs. Now, the listener really cannot see your beautiful use of arms here. So I have to <laughs> describe what John is, uh, how he is speaking with We're going to have a nice even bowl. <laughs> And we're, and now what we're going to do, and maybe some of this bowl is is pretty long. It's way out there past maybe the other side of the bowl. Okay, here's an opportunity to, to bring that back in. Now, what Master Guiders do, what uh, Anne would do with something like that, she would come back. She wouldn't just cut it off out there in the middle of space. She would follow that limb back to a lateral. That's mean where is attached and cut it off there. That's how typically master gardeners make cuts. They come back to laterals and cut them off. And they cut them off right at that root color. So that's what she's going to do. So now we've brought the thing in so it's even. We've got an even bowl either side. Now, think about that fruit wood that I talked about a minute ago. Right, that young one-year growth. Exactly. Brand new stuff that grew last summer. It's loaded with butts. In the middle third of it are going to be the most productive butts. The next thing we're going to do is we're going to start out on the end of that limb and come in a third on that little twig and cut that off right next to the bud. Ah, that's great. Now, are spurs the same as buds? Okay, they're different. Okay. okay. And I'll explain that in a minute. Apple spurs are the most are the easiest thing to talk about, or uh, apple and pear. Spur is sort of a, a little short limb. I mean, I, that's the only thing I can think of. It's a, it's a short little growth, and it has a bud on the end of it. That's a spur. On I don't want to get too far astray here, but you won't see that on peaches or from that bud. They're on that new growth, and you've got all these all these buds in there, and you want to isolate basically that, that middle third of that limb. So you're going to you're going to take off a third of that fruiting limb. Okay, so now we're thinning. This is after we've taken out broken wood, crossed wood, unbalanced structure, suckers, all that stuff. Now we're thinning. We're actually looking at the fruit at the fruit wood, which is, is this new growth that has all this buds on it. And now we're coming back a third, and we're we're cutting that off. Once you've cut that one, okay, that one little stem, you started at one little stem. You're working down a, a limb that has lots of these things on it. I want to see six inches. If if there's one closer than six inches, that one's coming out of there. I'm basically looking for one of these fruiting little fruiting limbs every six inches, and it's been taken back a third. And we're going to work all the way through that limb that we've kept in our structure until we've done that to all those little fruiting limbs. What it'll do, we've got all the growth focused on those most productive buds. 
We've got a nice open structure. We've cut out all the dead and crossing wood. We made sure the bowl has a strength to support this this new fruit. And you've thinned out this fruiting wood to a point where the limb can deal with it and the fruit can be nice size. Okay, now let's finish this. We're going to we're going to do dormant oil. I want to talk about where we go when we thin. When we thin fruit on a peach tree, even after you've done all this work and you get little peaches on every one of your little buds, we're then going to thin those peaches one every six inches. And that's important for weight. Exactly. Well, it's important to size, too. And if you size, don't do that, yes. you won't get a decent peach. You get little tiny right. peaches. No mini peaches. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about some other stone fruit. Apricots, pluots, and cherries. Can you tell me about pruning those? Those are kind of interesting. First of all, apricots and cherries. The information from the university is right now, okay, we do not dormant prune cherries and apricot. The reason is, unless you can guarantee yourself 60 days of dry weather, you do not touch your cherries or your apricots because of a fungal issue that can affect that wounded wood. What you have to think about is you'll be summer pruning your cherries and your apricot, but what you want to try to do is do it before the rains get there. So you're going to be stripping off the leaves, and for cherries and apricot, it's the same as we did for the peaches. The first thing that you're concerned about is developing that good structure, that open middle, and that does the same thing for us it did for the peaches. It opens up to air and sunlight and pollination. What we're going to be doing there is you're going to have long new leaders that are coming out of there that probably need to get in the middle and just take them out. Now the interesting thing about apricot, you can actually look at the buds and see where the the fruiting buds are going to be. If it's a single bud on that limb, that's going to be a leaf. If you see a bud that looks like a sort of a trifold, there'll be a basically a leaf bud on either side of it and then a, a little fatter bud in the middle, that's going to be a block and that's where your fruit's going to be. And typically, again, you're going to be fruiting on year old wood and same with the cherry. So we're going to trim for size, thin a little bit, and basically then you don't touch it in the wintertime. You'll be doing your dormant spraying, that's your horticultural oils, which is either emulsified paraffin or mineral oil, which acts as a suffocant for the thrips and the aphids and all the other things that are immature at that time. Okay, so that's what you do with apricots and cherries. Let's switch over to pluots. Pluots are a bit different. Pluot and plums and all the assorted varieties, they're a little bit different in the way the tree fruits. It fruits on old wood. Now, what that means is you plant a pluot or a plum. First thing that goes through your mind is I'm looking for good structure, which means that if it's a, a bare-rooted plant, you're going to plant it per the University of California Davis you have nice directions on how to plant that tree and get it started. And you're going to be starting it low, meaning if that's just a stick, you're going to be cutting it back. And when the branches do come out, you're going to be pulling off the leaves. We're dormant pruning this thing. We're not doing it in the summer. This is dormant pruning. We're sucking all the leaves off thing. And we're looking to develop that V-shape or the bowl shape again, which is the same in all these all these fruits, all these stone fruits. We want this V-shape. And we're going to try to keep it in size. So we're going to get the, get the start down low. And then what we have to think about, in two to three years, the tree is going to develop older wood low. That's where your fruit's going to start. So you can't be looking for plums and pluots, you know, right away. It takes a couple of years for the thing to kind of develop. Here's the kicker. The fruit develops on that old wood, and the fruit will come back to that old wood over and over again. So you have to be a little sensitive. And this old wood, it might be just a little stem down close to the bottom of the tree. So what you have to think about when you're creating your structure, meaning creating this V or this bowl, and you're trying to, trying to keep the tree from going crazy and getting real hot, that you don't cut all all that little snarky stems out of that old wood on the bottom because that's where your fruit's going to be. And again, it's much like an apricot. You can look down there and you can look at the bud and you'll see these little buds and then you see these little 
fatter buds. And those little fatter buds where you're going to, going to see your fruiting, fruiting coming from. And the key is, like I said, that, that old one is going to fruit over a period of three to four years. So you want to be kind of sensitive about it. You don't want to just take out every little stick down there. So what you're thinking about pruning on plums and pluots is, what happens to plums and pluots? They send out like the, the new growth will be real vigorous stuff that comes right out of the limbs. It's obviously new because it's nice and smooth and brown where the other parts will be gnarly and such. So you want to look at pruning that stuff back. Now, here's what you want to think about when you do that. You can go way out on the tip, perhaps, and cut that tip. And what you're doing is, what's going on with that new piece of wood that grew out over the summer, and it's now it's four or five feet long, and it's going out the top, and looks like it's almost like a wild hair. If you cut that thing off, what has happened is that apical tip of that long piece of growth, that shoot, that has suppressed the rest of the buds below that on that stem. If you just go out and cut the tip of it off, what's going to happen is you're going to get sort of a starburst effect out on the end of that limb because now that bud is gone. There's no more hormones suppressing all the rest of the buds further down the limb. And you're going to get this little, like I said, it's sort of a starburst effect out at the end of the end of that stick, which is problematic sometimes. So what you're doing is you're thinking about when I have this new wood, you have to be sort of selective about how you look at it. And when you do cut it up, you don't just lope it off like you were hitting it with a hedge trimmer. You're actually going back to a lateral, make a nice clean cut and get it out of there as we try to develop this open bowl. And I know this is confusing and you can read about it and do it. It's not tough, but sometimes it's easier if you read about it, talk about it, and then go see somebody do it or try it yourself somewhere. It becomes a little more explainable. Okay, and so that basically covers stone fruit. Do you want to talk about palm fruit? Palm fruits. Those are apples, right? <laughs> right. Apples, pears, that sort of thing. Now we're talking spurs. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> spurs are these little growths, out, usually out of the, the lateral and out the tips of apple limbs and they look different they look they're they're more uh, more flush a little fatter than a than a normal bud and it's clearly it doesn't look like vegetative growth that's where your apple is going to be for an apple pruning is going to be pretty much the same thing we're going to look for what's the first thing we look for we look for suckers right those are out of there now we're gonna look for crossing and and uh, disease things that's out of there now we're looking for maybe size. Maybe this thing's gotten too high, and I need to bring it down because I don't want to climb up on anything to get these apples. I may want to spread these apple limbs out a little bit. You can either um, you can do that by pulling down the limbs with stakes or weights or such, or you can maybe if it's an espalier piece of fruit on a fence on a piece of wire. An espalier means to train the fruit tree to grow in a two-dimensional form. So uh, I forgot to mention if we're doing these trees out there right now. In fact, if you could, you could. You can't come out to the research station and see us do these things because the research station is closed. But you could come out to the Great Park yes. and watch us out there do it's it. It's closed to the general public except for uh, an open house time in October. But the Great Park Food and Farm Lab is yeah. uh, open. Is it open Well, the Great every Park day? is open every day of the week. And I'm there three days a week. <laughs> <laughs> John is always Sunday there. Sunday <laughs> through Tuesday. So if you want to come out and look at and see what we're doing, you can, that's... Uh, that's fine. Anyway, these apples, we're going to we're going to pull all the leaves off the apple and we're going to thin and prune and remember the fruits coming from these spurs. These little uh, elongated buds usually on the lateral of the tip. And when they blossom, usually you're going to get four apples per burr. We're going to have to think about thinning nests. So so how many apples are we going to leave in a cluster? Any idea? Not too much weight, right? right. So Maybe. you thin. Oh, one, yeah. only one. That oh. you got to, or they won't get big. Oh. Okay, so you thin them to one. Greedy. And then say there was, uh, you're going to have obviously fruit spurs perhaps all along this limb. 
So you'd want to make sure that you don't have one apple that you've thinned any closer than about, I think it's, they say, five to seven inches between each apple. So that's what that's right in your fruit thinning. Great. And uh, when you prune apple trees, you do not want to get rid of your spurs. They can bear exactly. fruit <laughs> over 20 years, That's right. right. Yeah. yeah. They, they, not, they don't last forever, but they do last for a long yeah. time. Let's save some time for avocados. I know it's a very popular fruit tree in Orange County, and people may be listening uh, to know how to prune avocados. Okay. You don't prune avocados. You basically prune avocados for your purposes, meaning... If you have a tree that perhaps is getting a little too large in your backyard, you may need to top it. So an avocado, you can typically take a little material off the top of the tree or the side to to bring the tree into size. You can also, you might prune an avocado tree uh, for growth, meaning if, if it's starting to if it's a tree that tends to spread a little bit, you can bring in those laterals and that'll encourage growth vertically. But basically, what you're doing in avocados is you're cutting out uh, dead wood and wood that, that's causing you a problem for one reason or another. But you don't prune avocados for fruit production, basically, not the way we look at it. The problem with pruning avocados, okay, the wood's brittle, so you don't want to break the uh, tear-off bark like I was talking about earlier. Uh, you can expect that when you do cut it, you'll get flush growth at that point, so if you're just cutting out a tip, uh, you may want to have to go. You may have to go further back and get catch a lateral to make it uh, make it effective. And the other thing is that you have to worry about, especially with avocados, if you prune too much and you expose the inner part of the tree. The worst thing would be you expose a lot of the trunk or a major limb or something like that after you pruned it. What's going to happen is it's going to get sunburned. Avocados sunburn like crazy. So what you have, what you're going to have to do is mix up a little. Master Gardener whitewash, which is uh, latex paint, half latex paint, half water, and splash that on there. Otherwise, that thing is going to burn, and it's not ever going to be any better. It's gonna, once it's burned, it's gone. Yeah, I've and done that with my stone fruits as well. Yeah, yep. right? it'll happen. And uh, leaving leaves on the ground for avocados. You have to have mulch. If you don't mulch your avocado, you won't have an avocado. And they like their own mulch, don't they? They like everything. <laughs> Anything you give them on my tr- on the trees out at the great park there, uh, we have we follow the uh, university dictum four to six inches. The reason you have to have mulch, I know we don't have much time left, but the reason we don't have we have to have mulch is because of the nature of the avocado. Their feeder roots actually go right up into that mulch, called feeder roots, and it's funny. Like you go out there and look at ours that with all that mulch on, you scratch down in there just a couple of inches, and you'll see these white roots. <laughs> That's the feeder root of the avocado. Yeah. Don't step They're very on them. tender, yeah. very tender, and you'll have to have a healthy avocado. If you didn't do anything else to your avocado except mulch it, it'd probably be okay. They'll be happy. <laughs> Just don't walk around the avocado don't because plow of the under it. Don't rake on it. Yeah, yeah. And be, be gentle about be, be gentle, gentle about uh, pruning. Actually, and if you're going to prune it at all, this is the time of year to do it. Right. Don't wait till summer. Yeah, avocados are very tender. Even the way you plant them, mm-hmm. just be very gentle with avocados. Hey, John, we have some time left to talk about figs and persimmons. Can you tell us about that? Quite a bit different. Persimmons are dormant right now, meaning all the leaves are off. Everything is sitting there, and we're looking at the persimmon tree. And 
the action is going to happen on the new wood, the wood that grew last summer. So you can see this nice new shoot of wood coming off a branch. There's probably come off and it's sort of a trifoil effect. There might be three branch, three little twigs that are six or eight inches long. And you see all of these buds on these little thin branches that, that grew last summer. They had leaves on them. What's going to happen is that when the tree comes out of dormancy and things start to flush, there's going to be a little twig that comes out of each one of those buds, a new shoot of growth. And on each one of those twigs, there's going to be fruit. So you can imagine a little twig that grew last summer. Maybe there's three of them all lined up there. And now you get new growth out of that, each one of those buds. And each one of the, those new twigs that grow out of there, that's where the flowers and that's where the fruiting is going to be. So obviously, you've got a problem because you've got this nice thin limb and you've got this multiple buds there. So it's fruiting off of, it doesn't just hatch a flower at that bud. It actually puts out a limb and then that limb immediately starts to throw could throw off a couple, maybe even three or four fruits. So, and those fruit get big. So it's really important that we think about thinning this persimmon. So you have to understand where the where the fruit's coming from on a persimmon tree. So what we're going to do in our dormant pruning for persimmons is that for all those limbs, we have to look at them and we have to, to bring those buds back into to some sort of a relationship to the, the limb that's hanging on. So typically what we're doing is if we, because these things seem to come out in like multiples, we're going to be cutting those things back actually removing two of those pieces of growth. There might be three of them come out of the same point. They've all got buds. And so we're going to perhaps take two of them out of there. And then we're going to look at that one that's left and maybe take, we're going to either tip it or maybe take it maybe as much as a third of it off, depending on how long it is. If it's 10 inches, we might take three or four inches off. If it's just a few inches, then we might just tip the thing. But you have to remember that each one of those buds is going to produce a little another stem. And each one of those stems is going to fruit on it. It's important that you think about how you thin that thing. And that's how you deal with a persimmon. You also have to think about, you can overdo this. I mean, you, you can't kill a tree. You could just kill the fruiting prospects for that year. If you get in there and prune and just cut off all that wood, obviously all around the tree, you're, you're thinning everything. You're not going to have much fruit because the fruit comes out of that, that new growth. Does that make sense? It makes really good sense. It's a lot of work to thin those persimmons, and it's important to thin or else the branch will be just too heavy, right? That's right. That's exactly right. That's the way it works. Now, we have just a few more minutes for figs. Oh, okay. Let's talk about figs. Figs produce fruit on totally new growth, meaning that the fig is going to create a growth out of a node on a limb. That limb is going to take off, and it's going to get leaves, and then it's going to fruit. There are a couple different ways of looking at figs. There are some figs like back mission, and you can do this. You can have what they call a, if you want to do this, it's called a Breba crop, B-R-E-E-B-A, I guess it's called. I mean, it's like an early season fig crop. Those figs that are going to be early season in the summer, you get a fig, but they may not be as sweet as the, the crop that comes later. You can get that kind of crop out of your, your black missions, your, your black figs, by looking at some of your growth from last year and, and basically thinning that out and leaving some of that, that growth as whole or, or cutting, maybe tipping it. But that, that will give you an early crop on your black missions and stuff. If you have white figs, like 
turkeys and things like that. And you can also do this with mission. If you don't want a breva crop, which, I mean, I'm personally not too crazy about breva because the, the figs are not as sweet as they are if, they, if you wait and do the a late summer crop. So this is the way you deal with figs. You've got limbs coming out of that, that grew last season and probably pretty significant limbs these things should be like an inch or inch and a half in diameter i mean figs are i mean they really take off so what you're going to do is take those limbs i mean this sounds radical but you've got to take it back to the the lateral where it's touched into a uh, a bigger piece of wood now you're looking at a limb that grew last year and you're going to go to the lateral and you're going to count out one two nodes and the nodes are easily distinguished because they're just kind of like the structure that almost goes around the whole limb that comes out. It looks like there ought to be a leaf there. That's called a leaf node. And you're going to come out about two of those things and make the cut there. Now, that's a big cut. And when you do that all over your fig tree, it looks like you've just shattered the tree. But that's the way you prune figs. It's pretty significant pruning. You're going to get growth out of those nodes, and that's where your figs are going to be late summer, and that's where you get your beautiful, sweet, wonderful figs. But people don't realize that it requires that kind of pruning. It's always on new growth, and that's where you get your best best work if you do it that way. It's what happens with figs. We have reached an end to our show on winter care of pruning fruit trees. There's a lot more to learn, and we have drilled this into your memory. You can go on U-C-C-E-M-G for more information, and we recommend that you get a very good reference book on how to prune. We recommend a book with good illustrations because it's hard to just read about it. Get one with good illustrations. And so we do have recommendations for two, How to Prune Fruit Trees and Roses by R. Sanford Martin and The Home Orchard, which is a A&R, Agriculture and Natural Resource Publication. And you can go on uh, line for that as well. So we hope you have enjoyed our show and you tune in again on Thursdays, 8.30 to 9.30 for In the Garden. You can stream us live as well. And it's been wonderful having you listen to our show. This is DJ Anne speaking to you from In the Garden Show with our guest, John Shara. Thank you very much for coming, John. Enjoyed it. Thank you. And I want to leave you with something to remember that when you go out to the garden, whether it's a small little potted garden or just something on your patio or even looking at a miniature garden on your windowsill or a vast two-acre garden if you are so lucky to have one. Remember, gardeners live longer and happier lives. Right, John? I hope. (laughs) Okay. Thank you for coming, John. Thank you. This is the sound of rain here in Orange County last December. Part of winter care is using rain, which is so important for our gardens. Plants respond to it by growing more lush, and we can look forward to beautiful flowers in the spring. Let's hear from another guest, Master Gardener of Orange County, who will give us tips about saving and using rainwater. Hi, this is Marie Connors, another Master Gardener from Orange County with a few tips on using rainwater. Let's help conserve our precious water resources by reusing rainwater in our landscapes. Plants and microbes in soil prefer rainwater. Why? Because it's naturally free of chlorine, fluoride, and other chemicals. Conserving rainwater will help 
to reduce the impact of water pollution from runoff. At the same time, it will help to replenish our groundwater basin. When it rains, you can direct the runoff from roofs and downspouts directly into the garden and away from the house. Vegetation and rocks will slow down the flow of water and allow it to soak into the soil. Remember not to drink rainwater. Use it to water your flowers, trees, shrubs, and lawns. Collecting rainwater is a great way to save money, but it needs to be done safely. Save water in closed containers like rain barrels. Be sure the openings are sealed tightly to keep the water clean. You don't want to breed mosquitoes. For information on sustainable water use, go to our website, www.uccemg.org. Thank you for making water conservation a priority. Thank you, Marie, for sharing your rainwater tips. Now I have a special way to say thank you for listening to our show. Enjoy. I'll tell you, it rains a lot here in Seattle. Thank you for listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I hope you tune in again next week, Thursdays, 8.30 to 9.30, in the garden by the Master Gardeners of Orange County. Have a great week. Sunshine When it's raining It's the same in Every dream I know Starlight Just the way it seems to me And all the stars keep drawing me To ideals so far beyond But when the day starts calling me Those ideals are gone So you're left with sunshine When it's raining Go to the